Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Welcome to the Sickle Cycle Podcast, a monthly conversation about sickle cell disease. I'm your host, Charlotte Curtis. We're here in July for our episode, and we are excited to welcome Latasha Lee and Shauna Wisington from the American Society of Hematology Research Collaboratives. So I would like to begin and ask you about how you became passionate about sickle cell disease, and then also what is your role within the research collaborative? Hi, everybody. I am Shauna Wisington, and I am the manager of community engagement for Ash Research Collaborative. Um, my passion for sickle cell advocacy started at birth. I was born with sickle cell disease and just being treated at uh, medical centers and being asked to provide information on um, improvements and how the process or standard of care could be improved. After participating in a clinical trial to be cured of sickle cell disease, I really became um, more involved in sickle cell disease advocacy. And actually, I kind of semi-stalked Tasha on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you know, is is there any way that we could meet and discuss any ways that I could help with sickle cell initiatives and and ironically shortly after that or it might have been at the same time we received her resume um right before we were looking to hire and I was like oh my gosh is this the same person Mm -hmm. but wait yeah and then I was I was um participating in a panel discussion at NIH um, regarding mental health and sickle cell disease and I see this young lady walking by and I read her name badge and I was like that's Tasha. So I, you know, we we spoke then, and um, from there, it's it's just been one success after the next, as far as um, working with Tasha and the team at Ash Research Collaborative. Um, I really, I, as I as I mentioned before, I was always doing things like this outside of work. So it just, it's a really good feeling to be able to dedicate, you know, all of my professional, all of my working time toward um, these initiatives. Ash Research Collaborative is doing a lot as far as ensuring that um, our mission is to build the clinical trial, trials network for sickle cell disease with the sickle cell community and not for them. And Which is an important yeah. aspect, and we've been making good on that. We're we're traveling. Um, the country visiting uh, the cities in which the sickle cell disease population is highest, speaking with them about clinical trial participation and treatment options of interest. And in every city, it's just pure love. Like they are really excited for us to visit them and speak with them. And um, I can't wait. We visited four cities uh, so far, and I can't wait to finish. What were the four cities that you have visited so far? So we visited Chicago, Atlanta. To LA and Houston. Just this past weekend, we were in in Houston. So you have been busy. We've been quite busy. So <laughs> to answer your question, Charlotte, my passion for sickle cell disease. I think sometimes things come around full circle. You don't necessarily know why certain doors open. I um, am a molecular and cellular neuroscientist by background. Did not work on sickle cell disease through any of my graduate education or undergraduate, but I do have a little cousin who has sickle cell disease. And everyone always says, stop calling her your little cousin. She's in her 30s. But anyway, (laughs) Um, Christina, when you're listening, this is you. Um, But 
but I've seen the struggles that she's had throughout her lifetime. And um, shortly after finishing my PhD, I went to Capitol Hill for a um, congressional fellowship, and it was there that I began working on um, some items of legislative impact on sickle cell disease. And that's when I found Ash, or Ash found me. So. It's been a wonderful experience, and I'm really passionate because I can see that my work is helping others, especially my cousin. So I wanted to also ask you more information about the ASH Research Collaborative. Like, tell me more about that. When did it form? What are some of the um, key initiatives? Sure. So a bit of background on ASH for those who aren't familiar with the American Society of Hematology. It's the world's largest organization internationally, um, even though American's in its name, um, representing um, clinicians and researchers focused on hematologic disorders. Um, In 2016, um, ASH launched the the Sickle Cell Disease Initiative, which is all-encompassing, but one of the pieces of that was a research component, and that came about because of a Sickle Cell Disease Summit where they brought together various stakeholders to identify what progress needs to happen to address sickle cell disease, both domestically and globally. And the number one research priority was the development of a clinical trials network. So in 2018, um, at the end of the year, um, ASH, um, I think it was honestly during Sickle Cell Awareness Month of 2018, um, established and launched the ASH Research Collaborative, which is a separate nonprofit organization that was developed to foster collaboration and make progress in hematology. And and under the ASH Research Collaborative, we have two main projects. That's the Data Hub, which is basically a registry of registries, and it's working on um, sickle cell disease, but also a malignant condition called multiple myeloma. And then the Clinical Trials Network, which is only focused on sickle cell disease. Tell me more about the Clinical Trials Network. For the past two and a half years, we've been working on a business plan. So okay. um, we worked with a, a lot of different groups um, looking at you know the Cystic Fibrosis Therapeutics Development Network, the Bone Marrow Transplant um, Network, um, the Children's Oncology Group. All these different networks have made progress in their respective diseases. And also we've been speaking with the sickle cell disease community to really understand what the needs are in terms of clinical trials, both understanding education and how we can best optimize clinical trials for sickle. We are just truly excited when we were going out into the community and beginning to have these conversations at national meetings and um, different groups. We made a promise, um, kind of adopting something we've heard in the community um, with us, not for us. And so we're doing this with the community and not just for the community. So we are so pleased to launch our patient engagement efforts, our community engagement efforts. And as part of that promise, we um, originally were going to do only two um, workshops, one on each coast, but logistics of that in the disease community, um, we expanded that to eight cities. And so we are quite busy on that and just super excited. And we just um, finished um, the application period for sites to come on board of the Clinical Trial Network. So the next couple months, tune in. We'll be able to announce the sites that are part of the Clinical Trial Network and begin to talk about some of our other plans. Shawnee, want to add anything? just seeing the appreciation like you can you can you can almost see the relief on their faces um when we come to to engage with them because 
we have been hearing a lot, um, not a lot of organizations actually outside of the local community are engaging the sickle cell disease community about what they want and what they need. A lot of decisions are being made for them, um, and they are not being consulted before these decisions are made, which, you know, can result in some, you know, miscommunication. Then yeah. lost funds, too. It's like you think the community needs a... And then mm-hmm. you do A, and then mm-hmm. the community's like, that's not what we need at all. Right. We need C and D, you yes. know? <laughs> and, the, and, and the community, they are speaking out. They are coming to these events. They are not feeling well. All, you know, there are people who are attending, and they may have to step out because, you know, they may be in a little bit of pain or uncomfortable. But they are traveling distances. They are driving hours to come out and speak with us. Um, w- once we are uh, done with the workshops, we will be creating a, pre- a patient-centered research agenda, which will present to sickle cell disease stakeholders nationwide, healthcare providers, legislators, the uh, CBO advocate community, funders, mm-hmm. industry, so every variety of stakeholders. Yeah, so that research that really matters to patients, because the sickle cell disease community, their voice matters. And in order to make advancements in sickle, we have to make sure that things that need to be addressed are being addressed and not people just assuming that only chronic pain or only acute pain is what needs to be addressed to, you know, help improve outcomes for individuals living with the disease. Mm-hmm. Overall, as I mentioned, it's been an extremely positive experience. Um, I um, participated in a clinical trial almost 10 years ago to be cured of of sickle cell disease. My oldest son uh, was my donor, which, and it was a, it was, I call him my miracle baby because when, at the time when my doctor found out that I was pregnant with him, she was panicked. She was like, well, I don't know if you should go through with this. It's going to be difficult to treat you. Um, you know, and just giving me doom and gloom regarding pregnancy and sickle cell and what could happen. I think that's one area where additional research is needed mm-hmm. and additional guidelines are needed in terms of treating individuals with sickle cell disease during pregnancy. We heard it this past weekend in Houston, and I think it continues to be one where it's not that knowledgeable. This is a disease that most people were dying in their teens and twenties. Right. Now you're having generations of individuals living with this disease all through their lifespan, mm-hmm. but we don't know how to treat them at those unique periods of their life. Right. So that's an area where research needs to happen. And I was able to find a medical institution that had very knowledgeable doctors who just, at, in the very beginning, I'm introduced, they, they read my file one time and they were like, you can totally do this. I've delivered twins. I've delivered triplets. <laughs> I've, you know, you're, this is, this may be a high risk situation, but you can deliver this baby and be fine. I, internally, I felt like I was going to have this baby. And um, ultimately, he was my bone marrow donor and saved my life. And so for almost 10 years, I've been living sickle cell free. But just as, as Tasha mentioned about things coming full circle, I had no idea that I would be able to interact with people and kind of relive some of the experiences that I've had before. Um, in living with sickle cell disease and it's just such a blessing to be 
in a position to speak with them about my experience um, for the younger generation for them to see I had there was a um, a young man in our teen and adolescent group um, in Houston and after the session was over he said are you guys hiring and I was like how <laughs> I old are you from a, from a middle aged woman as well <laughs> yeah I was like how old are you he said 13 I said well <laughs> Give me, I'll give you my business card and send me your resume in about five years. And he, I said, well, why do you, why would you, why do you want to know if we're hiring? He said, I want to do what you guys are doing. I want to talk to people, you know, about sickle cell disease. And it was in that moment that I was just like, this is, it was a full circle, you know, moment for me. You don't know what is out there in the world unless you're exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the greatest gift that you can give anyone is just exposure because you brought in your horizons on a different level. And then in terms of your son, I know you mentioned that he was, you know, your miracle baby, yeah. but then at the same time saved your life. And so walk me through that step. Like, how did you hear about a clinical trial? Um, how old was your child? Um, it just because I want to know everything. So I was working for um, an association, a medical association. And um, I wanted to have another baby and found um, a provider who had an excellent uh, um, reputation. How did you find it? Did you have to talk to other patients? Did you? No. So I just I was just I was working for um, a residency and fellowship application service. Okay. Um, And so the residents and fellows report back and let us know about their experiences in the residency and fellowship program. And and my doctor um, was affiliated. I believe she was the director of the program. And so there there were nothing but amazing things about her. So I sent her an email in the middle of the day one day and was and just wanted to let her know that I would like to see her. I wasn't having a really good experience with my current hematologist. She responded to me within the hour and was like, we can get you in in, in a couple of weeks. And I went in to see her. And um, within the year, um, I was um, pregnant with my baby. And immediately following the pregnancy, I started to have issues, renal issues, with my spleen and kidneys and heart and liver. And um, they couldn't figure out. I was pretty healthy with sickle cell until that point. But I was nursing and depleting a lot of my resources to give to the baby. Um, and so I was going into crisis a lot. Like every couple of weeks in the middle of the night, I, it, it initially was like just an arm or a leg or a wrist. And that morphed into full body, eyelids hurting, scalp, the soles of my feet, knees, elbows, everything at the same time. It was in full sickle cell crisis. And so she sat me down one day and she was like, I think that you would be an amazing candidate for a clinical trial to cure you of sickle cell. And immediately I'm just like, are you sure? You know, like to cure me of sickle cell, you, this re- can really work. And she, and she said, um, this trial has been, this procedure has been conducted in um, hundreds of children overseas in Europe. Um, we've only conducted the procedure in a few, less than a couple of dozen um, patients in, uh, in the U.S. 
Um, and of the adults, you would be like, num- I believe it was like number 10 or 11. And I was like, well, so what's the mortality rate? And she said, uh, well, she started with 80% of those who have gone through the procedure have, have come through and they've been cured and they're, they're the bone marrow um, that grafted, but 20% did not. And so I was just immediately like, oh, I don't, you know, that's all I heard. That's right. The 80%, you know, was out the window. You think you're focused on the 20%. I was focused on that 20. I had a new baby still in diapers. I, you know, I was, I was heavily, I was thinking about my mortality and a, a toddler, a two year old, and it was uh, eight going on nine at the time. And so I, thought about it a long time and she said well here take his card make an appointment to see the director I'm sure that you know that you'll he'll be able to help you to make the decision and I took the card I made the appointment I spoke with the doctor again just cool casual he he took a look at my records and he was like you we can cure you of this Granted, you're going to feel a much worse before you get better. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's How like, long was that time period that he said that you're going to feel worse before you feel better? Uh, he said about a year. A year. Yeah, it could be up to a. It could be up to a year before you know things start to. I really start to see the improvements in my health, and nine months to a year, and I. Not a magic bullet. And so I had to come to terms with the fact that. They would be learning a lot from my experience in participating to be able to improve the program to treat others, and also come to the realization that I'm it may not it may not work, and I may be faced with my child my my kid's dad and his family in conjunction with my family raising my children without me. I made the decision to participate, and then it was on to looking for a donor. Um, well, because both my parents had passed away uh, decades before, um, I have a younger sibling, and she was tested to to be a donor, and she was a zero percent match. So, how does that work? It's either your parents, siblings, or who else? Well, it's usually you have the highest percentage of matching with parents or siblings. Okay. After that, it the the percentage goes down drastically. But um, so I started with, or you could go opt to go on a national donor registry and find a match that way if no one in your family. Does that take a long time? It could take a long time. This is one point I want to add in. So those of you listening, please check out the um, National Mural Donor Program or Be the Match. It's a simple kind of swab of your mouth and they collect your DNA and you enter into a registry. Um, the challenge with African Americans is we don't have enough donors, and so the likelihood of getting an HLA match or a half match is very low. So this is an opportunity to really educate everyone to mm-hmm. let them know about the program because if you have primarily um, Caucasian or other donors in the registry, the likelihood of someone like Shauna ever matching is low. In my program, they had never they had not performed the procedure on anyone as young as my son. So the doctor said, let's try, uh, let's just test your son. Um, if, if he is a match, then we can move forward with him. Um, we can move forward with him participating as your bone marrow donor. And at that point, I was ready to back out of the clinical trial because, again, because now I'm involving my children, my, my, my miracle baby. 
I'm involving him in this process beyond emotional, you know, connection. And um, he was a fir- he was a perfect fifty percent match. You, I only needed fifty percent and a half match um, for someone to participate as a donor, and he was a perfect fifty percent. Then we had to go through the consent, or is it the assent process? Assent process. The assent process, because even though um, he was a minor, because he was a minor, and they had to get his permission. And if he stressed that he was not comfortable with participating, they would not have, you know, allowed him to go through the process. Well, if you had to think about like maybe the top three reasons why someone would want to be part of a clinical trial, but then also some of the barriers that would prevent people from doing a clinical trials, what would you say those were? Um, For the top three reasons to participate, I would say to contribute to medical advancement. Um, We want to, it's always amazing to think about the fact that, which would be my number two, that um, you could be cured or relieved of symptoms from the uh, from the treatment, um, but it is ultimately about ensuring that you know medical advancements are um, happening to make the process um, better for those who are participating after after you. Um, and then the third reason would be to um, uh, the more people participate, then um, others are aware are made aware of their participation, um, and so it inspires other people to participate as well. Um, as far as the barriers are concerned, I would say um, some things to think about would be the amount of time that you have to dedicate towards participation um, as far as uh, family circumstances are concerned, um, uh, if there are costs associated with participating in the clinical trial. Um, there are some clinical trials where all of the costs are included in the protocol, but then there are also clinical trials where you, uh, well, one would have to pay for transportation or some medications. Um, and then the final thing would be um, the distance. Uh, how far is the trial site from your place of work or your home? Um, you know, what aspects of travel would be involved in order to uh, to reach the trial site. Uh, I would say that those are all important parts of considering participating in a clinical trial. I just want to add one. Altruism, that's one that we heard a lot. So people wanting to give back. Um, we've met individuals, um, especially some of our 70-plus year, six-year-olds who were in the initial trial for hydroxyurea, and they said they wanted to participate in that trial because at that time there was no drugs for sickle cell, and so they wanted to give back. Even if it didn't work for them, they wanted the next generation to have options. So we're hearing that a lot, too, that people do it for the next generation. So it's kind of like a selfless act. I was rehabilitated as far as um, detoxing from the medicine, um, health and wellness, nutrition. This institution was able to help me to stop the meds, cold turkey. And as far as it, what I put into my body, they did this like bio makeup before I was um, admitted. They took hair strands, blood samples, found out what I was deficient in. Um, and I would drink water with like nutrients in it every day. I ate nothing but 
the things that were grown on the property, no sugar, you know, and just a very clean. It was very, and that helped. I, I did have some difficult. I suffered a few seizures during that process, um, and um, but I was able to come out of that situation opiate free. And I have not, since that time, I have not had to take, if I had like a surgery or dental procedure or something like that, and I had to take medication, I was, it was, I never, you know, had the sensation to take it for longer than I should. So bringing us back to sickle cell and clinical trials, um, I think it's really important that Shauna had a physician who was able to talk to her about clinical trials. I think the challenge that we're hearing when we're going on these roadshows is that they're never asked. And so how can we be at this you know, cusp of so much change and accelerations in clinical trials? There's over 40 products in development for clinical trials in sickle cell disease alone. But if no one's asking individuals and their families to ever consider a clinical trial, they would never know. And it's through this change, and Jonna can share, that the clinical trial she participated in wasn't just one. It was multiple protocols to be able to make the advancements that we're seeing today in bone marrow transplant. You for share? your son, mm-hmm. what was the risk that were involved for him? Well, it was the surgical risk of extracting the bone marrow through his pelvic bone. Um, so he suffered some pain, muscle uh, weakness, and tenderness in his back, but that only lasted for a couple of weeks. But each part, as Tasha mentioned, I participated in a clinical trial that was like a compilation of, of small, uh, of lesser trials. Like there was a clinical trial for the conditioning protein um, to prepare the body for, to receive the bone marrow. Um, the radiation and chemo that was used to prepare before uh, the bone marrow, before I received the bone marrow, was a separate trial. Um, the family services portion with counseling and especially um, housing. your son was son young too, right? Yeah, um, those were all separate components of uh, one protocol. There's two things. One is how would you describe a clinical trial, and then what's the process for clinical trials? So I'll start off. So there are basically two different types of clinical studies, Um, interventional types of clinical trials, which could be bone marrow transplant um, or gene therapy, gene editing, which we're hearing a lot about now. And then the other one is observational studies. And so people kind of conflate the two, but they're actually two separate things. So they call clinical studies, but one's observational and one is clinical um, trials. And so when you think of observational, these are the types of surveys that you get sometimes, um, questionnaires, those are still advancing science and helping investigators and clinicians learn about the disease, but doesn't um, entail much risk because they're just observing you and your normal standard of of care, or they may be changing something in the way your care is given, but it's not actually having you undergo a procedure or take any type of medication. So clinical trials, on the other hand, um, usually involve you investigating a new procedure or a new substance, and these are investigational in nature because they haven't yet been done in humans. So you you have multiple phases of these clinical trials, um, and we can spend some time on that, but they range from phase one all the way through phase four. But it's always important to note, because we always hear, I don't want to be a guinea pig. 
all of these studies had to be researched for years and years and years in a laboratory setting in animal models and in human cells before they're ever given to humans. And so um, I just want to make sure everyone's clear with that, that you're not being a human guinea pig. Um, they have been tested before. And the phase one really is to understand both either in a healthy or diseased population how safe this therapeutic is. It's gone through some level of toxicology, but they want to make sure that the dosage is right. They want to make sure that it's safe at the dosage they're giving it before they move on to um, the next couple phases, which are phase two and three. And then after they're approved, um, that usually happens after phase three. Um, they then undergo post-market surveillance or post-market studies. And that's just to make sure that we're understanding how effective it's being in the body, if there are any long-term issues with it. And everything from the Tylenol you take to the Dilaudid to the Oxycontin all underwent clinical trials before they were ever on the market. And that's what I think some people fail to realize is, oh, I don't want to participate in a clinical trial, but had we not had clinical trials and people as brave as Shauna participate, we wouldn't have half of the any of the medications that we have today. How do people hear about clinical trials? There is the clinicaltrials.gov, a list of all of the available clinical trials. Um, and they include your observational trials, too, mm -hmm. on clinicaltrials.gov. So if you're not ready to make that big jump into an investigational clinical trial, you can do those observational studies. And they have a wide variety of trials. They're not just um, invasive. They're also wellness clinical trials that are that are available there about on uh, holistic approaches. Um, and then uh, a lot of people are finding out um, about clinical trials via social media and uh, the internet. Um, if their doctor is not informing them about uh, clinical trials that are available, um, there's always the uh, CBOs, the community-based organizations, who, um, especially if they're affiliated with um, larger uh, medical institutions, they usually would have a lot of information about clinical trials and studies that are available. Um, so I. And then the news. I think oh, we yeah. all recently saw the 60 Minutes special earlier this year, which talked about gene therapy. And we heard at a um, sickle cell briefing on Capitol Hill that a lot of people were so interested in it. They want to know more. So it's, I think it's various ways. But um, just to flag for the audience, a couple of resources that have um, really been created specifically to address sickle cell disease. Um, there is a effort by um, the National Marrow Donor Program and the Jason Carter Clinical Trials Program, which lists sickle cell disease clinical trials. There's also the ASGCT, um, which is the Association of Gene and Cellular Therapy that has a new clinical trials finder. And sickle cell disease clinical trials that focus on gene therapy and gene editing are there. And then there's another um, sickle cell focused one that actually has a map of the U.S. called SED Trial Map. Um, that allows you to click on a state and find all the clinical trials in that state. Um, but that's one of the things that we are really working on is to make sure that people are knowledgeable about all the different types of clinical trials that are out there um, and make sure that they can make informed decisions. The community workshops that you've been partic participating in, um, any aspiring stories in reference to clinical trials? So I mentioned the 70-year-old. Um, so we had a 78-year-old woman who was just so inspiring to us. And she came all the way um, to the workshop on her own. Um, and uh, she was in a wheelchair, but she was 78. So um, uh, she had participated in numerous clinical trials. Um, Do you find that common? So in the older generation, it's mixed. Um, 
we still have formal workshops, so I don't want to uh, generalize here, but I, I have found that a lot of the older adults, um, because they were kind of that first generation who didn't um, die in their teens and 20s, um, have participated in a lot of clinical trials because they saw how bad it could be. And I think maybe some of the younger um, haven't, um, but we don't want to generalize. But she in particular had participated, I believe, in like several, I don't remember the the quoted number that she said but a lot of the young people there wanted to take pictures with her and talk to her and get her experience and find out what she's doing to you know still be sickle strong and still you know living with this disease and I think that's one thing that we really appreciate from this workshop because our workshops um, focus on four unique audiences um, parents and caregivers of adults with sickle cell disease of um, individuals with sickle cell disease um, teens and adolescents living with sickle cell disease, young adults and adults living, older adults living with sickle cell disease. So to see that spectrum all in one room talking about clinical trials and the challenges and barriers that they face, I think is inspiring not only to us, but to everyone in the room, especially those um, parents of of babies with sickle cell disease because they're just told, you know, they're going to have all these challenges, but to actually see older individuals living long, productive lives who, you know, have lived with this disease, I think is inspiring. And for them to, for people living with sickle cell to get together and exchange information and to have someone, a lot of people are not interacting with anyone outside of their family circle who has sickle cell. So to present an opportunity for the sickle cell disease community to not only come out and learn about clinical trials and informed consent and our community engagement initiatives, but to also um, connect with someone who could be a, a potential lifelong you know, relationship for them for support um, is is great. I, when I was younger, I don't remember seeing any adults living with sickle cell disease outside of my care providers or people in my family. We had the transplant 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I would say eight years ago, mm-hmm. you had no symptoms, no complications. It's been just a little over nine years. It'll be, it'll be 10 years in, in 2020. But it was about six months after the transplant that I realized that the symptoms were decreasing. So I, I ended up having to have a few spinal surgeries after during my recovery period because I started work too soon and ended up having to have the spinal surgery and then the repeat surgery within seven days because the wound's infected. And um it was a very difficult experience for me, but um, in a lot of ways, it's as if I've gotten a, you know a lot of aspects of my life um, back. They're renewed. I'm I'm able to travel because I would have to have a doctor's note and make sure that an oxygen tank was available on the plane, and you know sit near the pilot and and right behind the cockpit with a big oxygen tank next to you is not. A, a very pe- pleasant experience, you know, as far as traveling is concerned. And now I don't have to, I'm free of those things. When I have pain, I can take an Advil or a Tylenol. 
I wasn't able to do that for the first 30 years of my life. Um, you know, my menstrual cycle does not uh, does not present, you know, additional factors that would have me admitted into a hospital for two weeks. Those things are huge. Um, and so in a lot of ways, it's like I'm you know, I'm about to celebrate my 10th birthday, you know, in 2020, as far as a life renewed. And I'm learning new things all the time. I'm experiencing things, a lot of things for the first time. It, even with all of the things that have happened, I would, I would participate, I would do it again, um, to, to have a life free of pain. And also thinking about the aspects of caring for my kids. Um, I, I probably, not for a very long time, know how those experiences affected them. Seeing their mom in that much pain, physical pain, um, visiting their mom on Christmas and birthdays and Thanksgiving in the hospital while they go and have dinner with the family. You know, I'll, I won't, I'm just glad that we can start to rebuild our lives. Um, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing what I'm doing today with ASHRC. What would you say to those that participated in clinical trials and were very hopeful about being cured of sickle cell disease, but the clinical trial didn't work for them? First of all, thank you. Thank you for That's your exactly time. What I was going to say. Thank you for your courage and being brave. Um, we are at the cusp of so much change and advancements in sickle cell disease, and I think it's important that this change is really being driven by those dedicated um, individuals in the sickle cell disease community who commit to taking this time out of their lives to participate and help us make these advancements in their families, because that's how we're going to be able to accelerate change. It's kind of sad that we only have really two options or two drugs that have been approved for sickle cell disease. This was the first molecular characterized disease over a hundred something years ago, and to only have two, whereas diseases that were, you know, discovered, you know, decades ago have multiple options. And so it takes their courage and their commitment to really advance. And so, first of all, thank you. I think also, second, don't be discouraged. I think the efforts that we're putting in place with the clinical trial network with further education, further knowledge about clinical trials, strategies to um, recruit patients into clinical trials, and, and also making sure that their perspectives on clinical trials um, and how to conduct a clinical trial in the sickle cell disease community are going to change things. Um, we know many of the failed clinical trials were either because of poor enrollment, where um, they didn't reach the enrollment goals that they had set forth and they and the FDA had um, agreed upon, or second, they picked the wrong endpoints. And so um, American Society of Hematology and the FDA held an endpoints workshop last um, fall, and that paper is um, out for um, review um, in a journal shortly. Um, but I think more advancements in the science and biomarkers will help us have less failures of clinical trials. Um, so just stay optimistic and thank you and don't get dis disheartened about the process. It is a time uh, a time commitment. It takes, you know, they say decades or plus to actually get a drug through um, the approval process and into the market because of the time from when it's in the lab with animals all the way through um, phase three um, and FDA approval. So it does take time. So just don't get discouraged. And we're here for you. And we're going to have community advisory boards at each of these sites where you can give your input. Um, but also we think these community advisory boards will also be um, a strategy to help educate 
Um, so you kind of have peer-to-peer conversations because we know within the community, it's great to hear from your peers because um, I can't tell you what the lived experience of sickle cell disease is. I've only seen it from my cousin. But um, hearing from someone like Shauna and others who've gone through clinical trials to share with others about their experience, I think, is really going to make change. How can someone find more information in reference to the ASH Research Collaborative um, Community Workshops? So we are currently recruiting for um, the Orlando workshop, which will take place on July 13th. Um, You can find information about the ASH Research Collaborative by going to our website, which is www.ashresearch.com. R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H collaborative C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-I-V-E dot org or you can follow us on Twitter at um, Ash Collab. So I have a question for you. Yes. Um, Would you mind telling us what spawned your passion for sickle cell advocacy and what, what prompted you to start Sickle Cycle? So I was always interested in learning more about sickle cell disease, right? Just as a patient living with it. Anytime you see something in the news, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is information that pertains to me. So initially I just started blogging about my experience living with this illness. The podcast, because I wanted to have a monthly conversation, no matter where you are in the world, you're able to access this information, right? Whether it's on clinical trials, whether it's on a patient's experience living with this illness. So therefore people know that they're not the only one. Hopefully this can be a portal where everyone can be educated about the illness, whether they have the illness or they don't, but you want to share as much information as possible because we need it. Well, thank you for having the vision to start this this platform as um, as it applies to the podcast and Sickle Cycle. No, thank you. I and appreciate thank you to Sickle Cycle for inviting us to be here. So I appreciate you both being here. I don't know if you have any last words that you would like to say to our subscribers and listeners. So be on the lookout. We have a clinical trial educational um, kind of infographic that we'll be releasing in the next couple of weeks um, that will really help to answer some of your questions about clinical trial participation because we believe that because of all the advancements that are happening, clinical trial participation is going to be key. But in order for you to participate, we want to make sure that we have your interest, your feedback, your uh, suggestions so that we can make these clinical trials the most impactful for the sickle cell disease community so that we can um, improve outcomes and ensure success. And I would just like to say to the sickle cell disease community to to not give up hope to I know that there are days where it may seem like the pain is overwhelming and it, and it's it's there and it's deep, but um, there is light at the end of the tunnel and there are people out there who are working to ensure that the lives of people living with sickle cell disease are improved. Thank you for listening to the Sickle Cycle Podcast.